Episode 111, We Going In Presents, here with Alaska, Adam's family, Hangar 18, Call Out Culture Podcast, man. Happy New Year. Is it too late to say that? It's January 7th. Maybe it's too late, man. I think I passed that deadline. I, I feel like you have till, uh, till the first holiday of the year, so you have till next Monday for uh, MLK Day. Okay. That, that's my well, rule of thumb. After that, after that it's, you know, you, you missed the mark. You don't want to hear it on January 30th. No, not at all. Now you're talking about the Super Bowl at that time. You're like, who's going to win? Exactly. Exactly, man. So you're having yeah. a good good holiday season, man. This is kind of a time where everything shuts down. And like for me, it's like I'm able to catch up on projects that I've been waiting to finish or make some progress on. Like how, how have the last couple of weeks been going for you? It's been nice. It's been, it was quiet. I got out of the city for a couple of weeks. Um, I did not look at my emails for work at all. I, I didn't even look at personal emails, really. Like, I have a bunch that I have to respond to in my inbox. Um, so I'm, I've been enjoying being disconnected from everything. Uh, I finished most of my writing for my next project. i got to record a couple songs next week, and then that's done. Um, and then just spending time with the family, which has been nice. The, you know, the family and the dogs and sleeping late, things like that. So it's been nice. And I got to say, like, I love the Backpack Christmas, Backpack New Year's, like, where you guys are really shining light on Call Out Culture podcast on underground artists, artists who may be kind of overlooked in 2023, 2024. Uh, how fun is it recording those episodes and kind of tracing groups back like natural elements and really like their history, but also like your memories and what you remember seeing them live and, and all of that? It's cool. Like. I mean, you, you had mentioned when we jumped on the phone about like how hard it is to be consistent with a podcast. Yeah. And one of those things is like, if you do the same thing for a long enough time, like we've been doing it for, I think like five years now. And this is like a new thing that we're tackling. Anytime we bring something new into the show, it gets exciting. And, and this was a new concept that we came up with a new idea um, I think Zilla Rocket came up with it, and it, it's been fun. We're going to make it a regular feature. You know, it's not going to be Backpack Christmas, obviously, but um, maybe anytime there's a holiday, we do, like, a, a Backpack episode. But it, it's been a lot of fun to, like, explore those groups. The response has been really good because, you know, you have the people that remember those groups getting excited about them again. Um, like, I was going back and forth with, with Yak Balls about Natural Elements and A Butter um, and about just how dope they were. Or, or like, you, you kind of – have kids that never heard it before because we have like we have a mix of like older people and younger people that listen so it's always nice to put people on to those groups that you knew that had a big impact on your life and and your musical journey uh and bringing that to to people who might have missed it and, and seeing their excitement that's always really fun um and you know like we're, we're fortunate enough to have a decent sized patreon community so we have a lot of uh, we have a lot of communications with the, the people that listen to our show and a lot of feedback. So it's, it's real fun. Like we even just did like a, the episode we have coming up this week is, well, I don't know when this is going to air, but at the time we're recording the one that's coming up this week, we did like, a, we do like an annual town hall where we have all of our Patreons are invited. Um, and then like, we just invite like all of our rap friends and whoever's free comes through and we just kick it for like an hour and a half. Um, so it's like, it's fun to have that interaction with the people that you're, you're working with as well. So I kind of went, I guess, astray on the question, but yeah, it's, uh, it's cool. It's a lot of fun. And then like, um, you know, when I posted stuff about it, um, L Swift was like, hit me up. It's like, Oh, thank you so much. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, dude, thank you. 
you like inspired me to do these things that I was able to do for 20 years. Yeah, that's amazing too, because you look at groups like Natural Elements or whoever else you're featuring, right? Like Mass Influence, like the, the algorithms don't always pick them up on Spotify or any of those DSPs. So really like it's, it's a lot more yeah. organic when you can tell someone who doesn't know about them and like why they're so dope, like instead of like hoping an algorithm catches them and then you're like Natural Elements, are they from, you know, are they a new group? Like, who are they? Like, it's much more organic yeah. the way you guys are doing it. Yeah, it, it kind of takes it back, right? Because that's how you found out about things back in the day. Like, somebody be like, yo, you got to hear this. This is dope. You guys were on Stretch and Bob last night. It was the best. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of cool like that. Um, I mean, the algorithms are cool to one element. Like, I have a 14-year-old, and, like, every now and again, she'll play something. I'm like, how do you even know that song? She's like, it just came up in mind as a suggestion for me. Um, and, like, I was talking with um, Tajay from Souls of Mischief, couple years back and he said the same thing like a lot of their fans are young kids now because it's just like you know they listen to like joey badass or something and souls of mischief will come up as a suggestion for them and they'll listen to it and i, I went to the souls of mischief show and there were kids with their parents there like this summer which was kind of wild like you know like 14 year old kids being brought to the show by their parents like into it which was kind of wild so like in some ways the algorithm's cool on that front but I'm I'm old, so I'm you know like you. I really enjoy that that organic one-on-one -on -one connection. Like it's still to the point where if somebody tells me to listen to it, I'm way more likely to listen to it than now. Yeah. And I think going off of what you just said too, I mean the fact that Souls of Mischief is still touring the country in 2023, yeah, um, just, <clears throat> just speaks to the strength of the music and and just the hip hop culture in terms of supporting artists and that that desire is there, man. I mean, how cool is it? to see that like the ageism of hip hop really is kind of getting torn down in a sense where you've got guys who are still selling out shows and, and, and touring the country, touring yeah. the world um, and doing music from the nineties. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And it's like, you know, they're doing like their whole album cause those albums are so like foundational for everything. <clears throat> like, you know, there was like, I, I don't know how old you are, but like, I, can't, I started listening to rap in, like, 87. And a lot of those records, <clears throat> as much as I like them, they don't stand up to me to the point where it's, like, you could go back and play, like, all the whole album of, like, Special Ed's first album. Like, to me, that's, like, one of the most special albums that ever came out. It meant so much to me. But a lot of that music is not going to translate now, where, like, the early 90s stuff does because it became like a blueprint for modern hip-hop, right? It, it's like the thing that propelled hip-hop forward. It started with, like, dudes like Rock Kane, Special Ed, Kane, um, those dudes, like, going from the, the really old-school sound to, like, a more modern sound. And then those, these, like, early 90s dudes picked it up. And that has still, like, to an extent, kind of like the blueprint for what hip-hop music sounds like now. So it's real cool to be able to see, like, you know, like somebody come out and do like just their classic album, do that show. Like this was Souls of Mischief. They did 93 Till Infinity. It's a 30 year anniversary tour. And, you know, they did like some other stuff here and there, some routines, which were cool. Um, but it's essentially just like the celebration of that moment in time that like something so, so groundbreaking that it propelled everything forward. It's really cool to like have that impact on, on the culture of the world. 
No, that's amazing, man. You know, something that, you know, talked about with Sankofa, man, in, in episode 110 was, you know, being a father, you know, being an artist, how do you balance it, everything? I mean, you've got Call Out Culture podcast, you've got your music and, you know, being a parent. I mean, what does your balance look like, you know, pl plus the plus the job, right? Like we all have we all have regular jobs, yeah. too. Like what what does your day look like, man, in terms of like how you're able to balance all the different moving pieces? It's it's just like scheduling, man. It, it's all about being the master scheduler, I think. Um, I, I mean, I'm usually up before everybody else in the house. Like, I, I've turned into my dad where, like, I wake up. Even on a Saturday, I'm up at, like, 7. I just – my body wakes me up at that point. So I have a lot of time where nobody's up. So that's, like, when I work on music. Um, that's when I work on, like, if I have to edit a call-out culture episode, that's when I do that. Um, I – Instead of, like, in the past, I would just, like, lay around and watch a movie or something. Like, I, I try to use that time. Like, I always have a headphone in with a beat playing. Um, and, you know, you write, if you get four four eight bars done in a song, and you do that every day, by the end of the month, you have four or five songs. So it's just, like, it's really creating routines, creating schedule. Because um, once you're at work, you have, to, you have to concentrate on work. Once the, the wife and kids are up can't have a headphone in your ear playing music all the time. You got to be present. You got to be interacting with the family. Call out culture. We, we, you know, Zill and I both are parents. Um, Cash is a full-time musician. So it's, it's really just like we carve out an hour and a half every week. That's like just schedule time. It's like, this is when we're doing it and nothing interferes with that. So it's, it's basically being like a slave to a schedule really. And, and not deviating from that. And I guess it's like, you know, it's, it's being an adult, right? Like when we were young and we're like, I'm an artist. I can't, I can't be like locked into a schedule. I have to have the moment of perfect inspiration for whenever this happens. Um, that, that can't really fly once you, you become an adult. And you also realize how, how like self-indulgent and bullshit that was too. So you, you realize like that that's all like just self-indulgent, like, self-important I'm 20 year old bullshit um as you get older and you're like okay I'm, I'm more productive now with music than I ever was when I had only music to do which is kind of weird right well you know what too like going back to you know when I wrote the Pumpkinhead book rock 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 on you know something that a lot of wait like, you like, wrote the Pumpkinhead book I didn't yeah, know yeah, they, you wrote the Pumpkinhead book yeah yeah that's me oh that's dope man that's awesome. Thanks, man. It, it was. That. Yeah, okay. No, I, okay, I appreciate. I appreciate, man. He, he, he. Um, the the whole the whole impetus behind that that whole project was back in '03 when I was just starting out at Hip Hop Game. You know, nobody really knew knew much about the site. Um, it was you know still nerdy online shit to most people. Where like you know it was all about the source and you know. Hot 97 and, and, and other networks, like the internet was just not cool as you know at that time, right? Like, and yeah. he he looked out, I was doing a hip hop game mixtape and I met him at a show in, in New Jersey and we couldn't figure out how to get the MP3 to me because he had to rip it off his CD and then send it, but my school email <laughs> oh my wasn't working. So then I had to get a Hotmail address, give him the password, he sent it to, you know, it, it was just a process, but like, Dude stayed on the phone with Hell me yeah. for like over an hour. You're like, okay, I clicked this. What do I do now? And I'm trying to picture what his like CD ripping software looks like. It, it was just a process, but he was super <laughs> oh cool God, about it. Amazing. 
And it was like from there, you know, I'd, I'd harass him on AIM all the time. Like, you know, PH, I just made this beat. What do you think? It'd be like, it sucks. You know, I'm not rapping over that. Stop sending me stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like, it was all Definitely. love. Like, you know, he was always just cool to me. And so I always appreciated him. Yeah. And one of the things that came up all the time in that book from guys like, you know, Breeze and, and Lyric and um, Sarah Kana, you know, um, all those guys was like, we've stayed up till, you know, 5 a.m. We broke night just just rapping, like rapping outside, like rapping, oh. you know, oh, yeah. anywhere. And it was like such a magical time to be able to just like not worry about work, not worry about anything else other than we're just going to rhyme and we're going to make music and we're going to just have fun. Yeah. And you were part of that yeah, too. Dude, that was like, sorry, go ahead. I cut you off. I apologize. Oh no, you you were a part of that time too, and you were you were there. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was it was really like, to me, like this the thing, and I didn't realize it at the time. Like I always thought it was like we're rapping, we're making music, like that was the important thing. But it was like the friendships that we made that really mattered most. Like once once we all like at least for me like once like we started putting out records and touring um, and like being in the music industry, like that joy went away because you weren't around those people that like you just had connections with and that you, you had love with. You're just like kind of on your own going around the country and you're meeting new people and it's cool. But like when you go back and you look at those things fondly, it's not because like we were rapping in New Yorkian. It's because of who we were rapping with outside of New Yorkian, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like uh, I I met PH online for New Yorkian. We were like, it was right after um, the Laughing Syndrome promo dropped on Stretch and Bobito, like the one with him in Boots. Um, <clears throat> and I was just online, I heard this dude talking behind me, and I was like, holy shit, you're Pumpkinhead. He was like, yeah, man. And like, we just kind of became friends through that. Like, you know, like me, Wind and Breeze, uh, Pumpkinhead, Adam's family, like Pumpkinhead, and um, and the, the whole crew, like we just were like the Pumpkinhead and the Plague, like an Adam's family. We have like freestyle sessions, like forty double sided forty five minute tapes of just freestyling in Cryptic's basement with those dudes. Like, um, it was just it was really cool. Like, it's funny when you say like Pumpkinhead was like you played him beats. He was like, Nah, that's not it. Like I I had a moment like the second time. For the third time we ever performed in New Eureka, like the first two times, it was like Hangar 18. It was me, Wind and Breeze, and this dude, Analytic, who was part of the group back then. <clears throat> the first two times we performed, it went well. Like, people liked us. And we thought we were hot shit. So we signed up to go last. Like, we wanted to go to people close out the next New Eureka Poets Cafe in our third performance ever. Like, we were hot shit. And it just happened to be like this stellar night. Like, Saul Williams went right on right before us. And um, we go on. And the crowd, it's like crickets at first. And then you just hear this group of people chanting, scale, scale, show us some scales. And it was like, for like the whole song, it was like, damn, this sucks. Uh, and then like a couple months after I met Pumpkinhead, we're chilling. And I told him this story. He's like, oh, that was you guys? He's like, oh, man, I'm sorry. That was me and my crew. You guys weren't good that night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. I was like, he wasn't wrong. You know what I mean? It's like one of those things he wasn't wrong. But in the moment, it was like, it hurt so much. <laughs> man. Yeah, no, I, I would make a beat, man, in between classes or at night and think this is the best thing ever. Like, I could hear, like, Pumpkinhead, like, he's going to love this. Like, nope. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like, the saddest thing. But, man, it's like he – 
I pre- always appreciated his honesty too. And like the fact that he kept it like a hundred percent with you, you know, where it's, it's, he's not going to be telling you, you know, this is great, but he hates it. And he, so he takes the beat, but he, then he never wraps over cause he really hates it. And he's, Oh, it's yeah. next week, next week. You know, like, I, like it's, it's so much better the way he was just, just upfront, man. And his sense of humor and just, just the, the whole way, man, he carried himself and represented like for hip hop, yeah. but also like all the people he worked with. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's this dude, he's like a battle rhyme, battle MC. And you're just like, oh man, like he's going to like tear everybody. But he's like the kindest and nicest dude. Yeah. It's amazing, man. You know, you know like it, I, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, man. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, uh, I mean, it's just like one of the things you appreciate as you get older is like, you need those people that tell you like when you're not doing something right, because it's either going to be a thing that makes you stop or makes you grow. And either way, it's going to save you time in the long run. Right. Like I would rather somebody like, I get really frustrated with people where like I send them a track and like, you want to jump on this track? They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like you're chasing them for months, nothing ever happens. You you eventually just stop bothering with them. Right. But it's, I would rather just upfront. You're like, no, I don't like it. Or no, I don't have time. Just like to me, like wasting my time is the most insulting thing you could do. You could tell me I suck a hundred ways till Monday. I'm fine with that. But if you waste my fucking time, that's like, you know, one of the most precious and limited resources. Like, don't fucking waste my time, man. I don't care about any of the other shit. Just don't waste my fucking time. Yeah. I remember Tone Deaf told me, he said, man, you can always get your money back. You can always, you know, you you spend your time chasing money. Like the money will come back at some point. But he's like, you can never get that time Mm -hmm. back. So he was always like, that's you always got to spend your time the right way. Yeah. And it's something you don't realize when you're young, but it's, it's, you start to realize it when you don't have the time that you need to do things like shit. I wasted all this time. And, or like, you know, you get to a point where you're like, you focus on the wrong things. And it's like, I, I lost those years to focus on things that don't matter. No, and when you look at that, man, I mean, you've been prolific with releasing music on a regular basis, you know, um, just just being a pillar in hip-hop while also um having a family having a job doing everything outside of the of hip-hop as well i mean how do you feel you've spent your time in the past few years and, and has there been a shift in like your priorities like I, I know you said like you went from watching movies to like you know being productive like like when was the shift if, if there was one i i think it started once i had a kid um, like, so I guess like 14 years ago, maybe, or like once, once my, my wife got pregnant, I think like that's, that's when I started realizing like my shit's not that important. You know what I mean? Like a lot of the shit that I, I focused on was something I, like stuff I focused on to kill time. Like when mm. you have unlimited time, you, you kind of have to figure out ways to fill it. And because you can't, you obviously, you can't be creative 24-7. Like, you have to, if you're constantly putting things out, you have to be taking in new things. And, you know, a lot of the things, like, you would take in, like, even, like, you know, re- like, reading comic books. Like, for me, I was, like, I, I got really into reading comic books for a time. I never cared about comic books before. But once I had, like, my kid, I was, like, all right, that's something I can get rid of. That's something that doesn't really matter to me. Like, I'll read it. I'll read a book on the train when I have a chance. But, like, um, you know, even like some friendships, like some friendships where your friends, 
because you need to kill time, which is like a, a terrible thing to say. But like when you, your time is limited, those, those things that you thought were the most important things in the world, they fall by the wayside, right? So the fact that making music stayed in that mix means that it's really important. Um, and I, I had a moment where like the second Hangar 18 record came out and I felt like we compromised on some things, not like to the point where the label's like, you have to change this or you have to do that. But it was, it was our approach to music changed when we were making that record. Like the first record, we made that record for us. It was like, we're here to show everybody that we're dope. We're here to say fuck you to anybody that questions us. It was like one of those like chip on your shoulder records. Mm. And then we toured for like four years and you start touring with like different types of groups. You start touring in different areas of the country. You start seeing like different styles of music. Like when you're just like in New York and underground scene, you're sort of like you're isolated within your own bubble. So you're making music for that bubble. But, you know, you start going out, you start performing, you start seeing what works with crowds. You start seeing what works with like maybe getting some radio play or some placement in a, in a movie or a commercial. And you start, we made, we made a record of songs that were trying to like hit all of those audiences instead of being the record for us. And we had a version of the record that was the record for us. And I like it so much more, but we pulled like a lot of good songs off and we're like, let's have a song with this person because this person will reach that audience. Let's do a song that has like this sort of a concept because it'll reach this audience. Let's use this hook because it'll be great in a live show. Um, and, and the record was compromised. And then, you know, basically we like, it, it tanked and not even in a way where it was like it was bad like people didn't shit on it people were just like collectively like meh it came out it was fine whatever uh, I was completely forgettable so my 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 perspective shifted after that point where it's like I would have rather had everybody hate something that I loved because at least I loved it and at least I had that like I had something I could be proud of like I wasn't even proud of it and it tanked so after that, I decided like going back to, I'm only making music for me and I don't care if, I don't care if nobody buys it. At least I made something that I want to hear and that I don't think anybody else is doing. I mean, you know, we all think we're doing something unique and individual and, you know, it all is sort of like, you know, drums, baseline, loop and rap. So it's not completely original in any way, but, um, you know, it was like, it was what I wanted to hear. Like the, the content was things that I wanted to talk about. It was things about my life. And from that point on, I never, I never veered away from that. Like the only thing that might've changed is like, I tried to go back to the days like where, you know, talking about like, you know, rapping at New York and where you would get on the phone with your friends and kick the verses that you just wrote, hoping that your friends would bust out laughing with joy. Like, you know, that like feeling of joy when somebody kicks a really good rhyme to you. Right. Like you have that smile on your face and you're, like, you're la like laughing. It's like a joyous laugh. You're not laughing at somebody. Like trying to get like that reaction out of my peers. But so I guess like that sort of that shift was really important because I wasn't chasing some goal of like financial success through music. I wasn't chasing goals of like popularity through music. I was making music for myself and as a way to like process my world as a way to like deal with my stress or anxiety as a way to like sort of find my joy. And those were, that's what like drove me to keep making music. And it, it makes it a lot easier when you're doing it from that point of view, because you're doing something that you love and it's not a chore at that point. 
Right. Um, so I hope that answered the question. I don't know if like I strayed too far, but I hope. No, yeah, not at all, man. The question. No, that's amazing, man. I appreciate your insight on that too. So looking at a, you know, working with someone like Steel Tip Dove, for example, or Jason mm -hmm. Griff, like, like how do you approach projects yeah. like that? You know, where it's like, okay, it's just me and it, it's a producer and then whoever else we want to bring on for a song, but it's really, you mm -hmm. know, the MC and the producer. Um, what's, what's that approach like, yeah. especially when you're working with the Steel Tip Dove or a guy like Jason Griff? Um, it, it's interesting. I, I only do that type of rep. Like if you look through my whole catalog, it's all, only been me with one producer, like even Hangar 18. So the, we had a couple like producers on the second song, the second record, like a couple, like we had like a blockhead beat and like one other dude do a beat, but it was all Paul. Um, so like Paul's the dude that directed adult rappers. I don't know if you saw that documentary. Um, but he was like, he was a producer in Hangar 18. So we did everything with him. Like after that, I was in a, a group called Crack Epidemic with this dude, Kojo, um, and he did all the beats. And then from there on, it was like everything. Like I had a group called Words Hurt with this dude, Lang Vo out of Texas. Um, so it's, it's really about, for me, if like I have to get along with the person, right? Like I don't care if you're dope. If I don't get along with you and I don't like, you know, spending time with you, I'm not really going to be able to work with you. So like, as of right now, like I have three main people that I work with. So it's uh, Zilla Rocca from Call Out Culture. We have a group called Cargo Cults. Um, we had an album called Nihilist Millennial that came out a few years back. Um, and we're, um, we're basically done with our second record. We're just in the process of mixing it now. Um, Jason Griff is the other one. Um, we have two projects and we're starting on a third one. And then Steel Tip Dove is like the new one. Like Steel Tip Dove and I've been circling each other for years. And it's different with each of us, right? So, we like, with Zilla, we kind of, like, talk about what, what our idea is for the record. Like, we'll pick an album that already exists as, like, a blueprint for a structure. Um, and that's something that he does a lot. Like, that's a lot of his creative process. And then from there, like, you go off. Like, for, for this most recent record, we were like, let's make something structurally similar to late registration. And we, we build it out. Like, you know, this is like, these are the, the, the sort of, I guess, like sonic notes you want to hit, or maybe like sort of emotional notes that you want to hit throughout the, throughout the flow. And then, you know, by the time you get done, it doesn't look anything like that, but it's like, it's a starting point for what you're trying to create. Like, you know, we made, I think like 17 songs and the project's going to be like 10. Um, and then with, with Griff, Griff and I just record, like, when we're doing stuff. Like, the first record, it was like, he just sent me some beats, like, let's do a song together, because him and I had worked on stuff with, um, he had a group with uh, Scorsese, uh, MC out of uh, D.C., who uh, passed away a couple years ago, so rest in peace, Scorsese. But we did a couple songs like that. Like, we did a song called Ode to Camp Low that was, like, just a real fun song, and, like, we kind of just became friends off of that. And him and I, like, we both also, like, are really into punk rock. Um, so, like, we put out a record called Pop Songs for the Apocalypse this year. And it was, like, he just sends me, like, a pack of beats, and, like, I write to the whole pack. And then I send it back to him. So, for this one, he sent me this pack of beats. Everything was 90 seconds or, like, 60 seconds. So, I wrote strong songs that were that long. Like, that's it. Um, so, it's, like, you know, it's a 13-minute, 13 13-track 13 record that's, like, 12 minutes. Um so like our, our, I guess our, 
process is it's just volume. Like, let's just give me what you got, and I'm going to come back to you with what I got. And then with Dove, Dove is really interesting because, like, Zilla's in Philadelphia. Griff was in Chicago when we started. Now he's in Rhode Island. But Dove is like a train stop for me. So it's a very different process. Like, I could go to his house and record. Like, we could be in the same room working on something. So it's, it's very collaborative in that way, and it's kind of nice have somebody to bounce ideas off in person and in the moment, which I haven't had in a long time. Um, and him and I, we work really quickly together. Like the first record we did, it came together in like six weeks. You know, he, he sent me a beat pack. I wrote three songs, went to his house, recorded. Once he had that down, he sent me like another beat pack that had like sort of similar but different vibes to it to like kind of keep it sonically sonically within the same family, I guess. And then, you know, like I said, it was like, it was maybe four recording sessions and we were done. Um, and on the new record, it was even the same thing. Like it, it was for a long time, nothing was happening. And then within like a two month period, the record was, it was done. Um, so him and I work very quickly together, but we work very collaboratively together, which is, is nice. Like if I have an idea, I don't know how to technically put things together and it's hard to explain it to somebody who's not, you're not in person with. So being in person with him, I could be like, let's throw this sample in and try to freak it and see how it works. Like we have a song um, called Statues Crumble where we took a, a line from a Sugar Ray song and chopped it up and made it to hook, which is like something I couldn't like, I couldn't do it technically and I wouldn't necessarily know how to explain it to somebody unless I'm in the room with them. And I get to do that with Dove. And it's, it's really nice. It brings you back to to the days of when we first started doing stuff and everybody was in the room together figuring it out. It's nice to have that, those ideas to bounce off. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, it, it's different with everybody, but I think you have to have good and trusting relationships with the people that you're working with. And I think friendship matters for that. Like to me, like if I'm not friends with somebody, I'm probably not going to do a project with them. That, no, so, that, that, I, don't, I don't know that explained everything, but no, that make that makes a lot of sense, man. Especially like at the at at this point in time, man. It's like you know we've all been we've all been in the game, you know, twenty plus years, and it's like there's yeah. just no time, man, to like to do something that you know it's it's already taken away from family time, so it's got to be something that fulfills us, yeah. you know, creatively and like like keeps that fire going. So there's no point, man, to doing anything that's going to like bring stress or misery or, or anything like that. Cause yeah. it's like, it just, it just kind of permeates, man, on everything else you're doing, you know, family life, you know, your, your work, your sleep. Like, so I hear you, man. It's like, you got to yeah. do stuff that just makes you happy. And even if it, even if it gets panned by others, it's like, it, it almost doesn't matter at this point. Like I, like I've actually stopped no, checking you know, streams on, on podcast episodes, like, Oh man, only this many people listen to this episode. Like, what do I got to oh, do? Yeah, or, exactly. you know, it's like, like, like for, for me, like just these conversations, man, like I love talking to artists about their art and the creative process and just like music that means a lot oh, to yeah. me. So it's like, it's all about just like the, you know, that, that fulfillment piece. So I, I hear you on that, man. Yeah, definitely. And it's all about like, it's like fucking with the people that fuck with you. Right. It's like, who cares? Like, I don't, I can't worry about the people that don't fuck with me. Like, it's like when you're young and you're like, you only want to date the girl that wants nothing to do with you. Right. Meanwhile, like there, there's somebody that like loves you and you're just like, get away from me. 
Like, I want this, like, unattainable thing. Um, and, and when you start getting old, you start realizing, like, how how joyless that pursuit is and how, like, sometimes once you, like, get the thing that you think you wanted, how miserable you become. Like, when when we got, like, record deals, like, and making music full-time, like, music became joyless to me at that point, like, because it wasn't about music anymore. It was about, like, all these other things that don't fucking matter. And I think, you know, when you start focusing on an audience size or, you know, who's giving you props in a write-up or who's talking, like, which publication's talking about your music, like, that, that shit, none of that shit matters. Like, the only thing that matters is, like, making something that you think is dope and then connecting with the people that also like your shit. That's it. Like, none of that other shit matters. All that other shit is, like, just a way of, like, filling your day with pointless stress and anxiety, chasing things that don't fucking matter when you could be focusing on things that, like, improve your life, make you happy, like, give you a reason for continuing forward and pursuing the things that you love pursuing. Like, don't sully it with things that don't matter or, like, like, who gives a fuck if, like, Santana reviews your record? Like, dude's a fucking dickhead anyway, he seems. So, like, I don't know him, so I probably shouldn't say that about him. But, you know, like... Who cares? Usually, usually instincts are right, though. Usually instincts are right. Yeah, no, I know, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, he doesn't seem like a dude I would hang out with, put it that way. Um, but, like, yeah, none of that shit matters. Like, I don't know, do you know, do you know gang, gang Grizzly, like, PTP? No, no. Or he he's like um he used to be part of Adam's family and like he he just like does cool shit. Like he he makes really cool music, he does really cool packaging, he like does like he still does like cool shit. Like he's an older dude, but he's like he's tied in with like the younger, like cool creative artists right now that are doing shit in New York. But it's like he's like the real deal. Like to me, like I kind of mirror a lot of what I do based on what he does like I mean he does way more than I do but like he'll do like shows where it's like instead of paying bring a coat and it becomes a coat drive you know what I mean like he, he does like cool shit like that and he puts his like he puts his money where his mouth is and I'd rather be around people like that than people that are like clout chasers right no, I hear you, man. Like that, that that's amazing, man. So when you look at even like working with someone like Zilla, man, it's like you guys do call out culture together, but then also looking at like cargo cults, it's like how do you guys like is there any kind of like switching of roles, man, when you look at like, you know, this is us when we're we're podcasting, this is us when we're making music. I mean, it was a pretty seamless because of the friendship and just like having that understanding. Yeah, it's de it's definitely pretty seamless. Like I think that you know, there's obviously different roles, like, because he's, he's a producer, like, he does, he's responsible for the sonic landscape of a project, so I think in a lot of ways, he has, he has a more foundational role in what we do as cargo cults, um, you know, whereas, like, I take the, the sort of more, like, emotional and content direction uh, he, he makes it into songs. He makes it like, he makes the magic out of it. Um, but you know, it's, it's having that type of a relationship where you could be honest with each other, like kind of going back to what we were saying about Pumpkinhead, where it's like, if I do something and it's not there, he doesn't like, he doesn't hold back. He's not like, 
yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. Let's just put it out. And like, we both put out something we're upset about. Like, he'll tell me, he's like, that hook sucks. Go back and redo that. Or like, this song's not really hitting. Like, let's pull this one from the record. Like, you know, I think that having, having somebody that you could be honest with when you're being creative is really important. And, and, you know, call out culture is a different thing. Like that's a conversation. Like we're both dudes that have been listening to rap forever and we're just giving our opinions on rap songs or rap artists. So there's like, it's like hanging out with your boys, like at a diner talking shit about records. That's what call out culture is to me. Whereas like, you know, when you're, when we're making music, you're in a relationship, right? It's like that old cliche about like band, being in a band, being in a marriage. I think to some extent, like being in a, in a, group making music is similar to that because you have to you have to make sure that each of you is happy with the product and in some cases that might mean having a disagreement over something but knowing that you're both working to make it the best thing possible and you know sometimes that might mean things just get cut all together or it means somebody wins an argument um, or you know sort of voices their opinion in a way that gets the other person to see their side of the story. And it's, it's, it's a more, not necessarily difficult, but more challenging relationship to navigate than just the, the call out culture. Right. Cause like that, that's just like, like I said, that's just like boys hanging out. It, like that never it, like, you know, we, we get into arguments, but it's, it's over like whether or not like somebody likes liquid swords. You know what I mean? So it's it's different. It's it's like something that doesn't matter. But but what I think is so dope about call out culture too is, you know, if 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 me if me and my friends are arguing about Liquid Swords, like, you know, I was never like a serious serious producer. Like I made beats and it was fun, and I still like making beats. But like, it's not like I have this like tremendous like you know mile long discography, mm-hmm. um, you know. But when you guys are doing it and you're your artists, man, it's like you, you're able to look at things yeah. through a different angle because you know what it's like being in the studio. You know what it's like in a cypher. You know what it's like rocking stages. Like, you know, you have these experiences to pull from that almost give you an added layer to analyze, you know, you know, an album or, or an artist's career. Um, plus, you were there, like, you know, if we're looking at, like, what's happening in, in New York City, like, you guys were there um, as a part yeah. of it. You know, so how important do you think those experiences as an artist are to what you're doing now with call out culture? Because, I mean, I think I hear the same thing with like Southern Vanguard Radio with DJ John Doe and Eddie Meeks, mm-hmm. you know, with with, with, yeah. with their, their deep experience in the game of prophetics and everything like and everything that they've done. Yeah. You know, how, how, how does that impact you? I think it well, I think it gives us a, um, a bit of authority in a way, like because we're speaking from experience. Like, you know, obviously, like, we don't, none of us have experience of, like, being as big as Wu-Tang, but we do have the experience of being on stage, of being in a studio, of putting out music, of figuring out how to, how to create as opposed to just, just critique, right? Like, a lot of, a lot of podcasts is, it's fan-based, right? I think a lot of, like, internet culture is fan-based to an extent, like, I know he's not like the, the original person, but like somebody like Bill Simmons kind of, I feel like he kind of created a model that dominates a lot of like cultural cr- criticism right now, 
where it's like, you know, somebody it's, it's using, using art of somebody else to make a point about something completely different. Right. And it's really, it's, it's really quite annoying, honestly, for me. But um, I think the thing that's cool about quad culture is we have an avenue to like kind of with our music, we can do that already. So we don't have to do that when we talk about music. We could just talk about music and we could talk about it from a perspective of, I don't want to say expertise, but from a perspective of understanding it like from a te- technical aspect, right? Like if you're talking about cars, you could talk about with somebody about how cool a car looks, or you could talk with like somebody that knows about building a car, about mechanics, and about like what makes that car special. And I think that that's what we're able to do as as artists. And I think people like that perspective because you know, like if you're if you're just a fan, and there's nothing. I'm not saying that like to be you know dismissive of fans. But if you are just a fan, you don't know what it takes to make a record. You don't know the amount of work that goes into it. You don't know about the levels of internal self-destruction that you have to do to get to that other side of growth as an artist, growth as a person on a musical sense, right? Like if you make the same record over and over again, you're not growing as an artist. And I think a lot of artists do that. Um, the ones that to me are truly special are the ones that like, it's like the idea of creative destruction. Like you have to destroy something for it to grow, to grow something new and interesting. And I think like really good artists do that. Like they'll destroy themselves. Like, you know, not like, I'm hoping not by like drug overdoses or whatever, but you know, like your idea of yourself, your ego, Mm. you'll destroy that and then grow into something new. You'll destroy your sonic template and come up with something new, right? Like, like Ish could have been doing Diggable Planets forever and it would have gotten boring as hell, but he, he evolved into something different and makes like crazy creative music. Like, I think, like, those are the things that you see as an artist and you see somebody doing it, you know what that took to get there. And you could express that in a way that somebody that just listens to music can't. Right. So I think, like, that is maybe what makes us, like, people like us different. Um, and by us, I mean, like, us, Southern Vanguard, Super Duty Tough Work, you know, like, all of those those podcasts that were started by people that have been part of this sort of underground industry for 20 or 30 years. Like we know, we know like all of the ups and downs of that and how that, how to express that I think is helpful. Like, you know, I appreciate listening to people who are enthusiastic about a record, but they're kind of just enthusiastic about records. You're not getting any sort of deeper insight other than how the record makes them feel, which is cool. It's like, I'm not trying to like shit on that, but you're not getting you're not getting a, a level down into the creative process. Right. Yeah. And, and, and as a listener, I definitely appreciate that, man. And, and quick plug to Southern Vanguard, man. Check out that Smithsonian grade book Hell that yeah. they put out. Um, that was, that was another yeah. 
another book project I did, man. That that was like two years in the making there, man. We're super happy that came out last oh, that, year. Hell yeah. We've been it's been kinda of cool. We've been able to have a couple of like book episodes uh this year. Like we had we had uh, Southern Vanguard on. We had um the the mixtape book dudes, Stan Ip and uh Evan from uh Up North Trips. They they had the, the book about mixtapes. Uh my homie Roy C, like he's a academic but he writes a lot about like sort of uh, Afrofuturism and hacker technology and how how that sort of like hip hop is the blueprint for both of those. Which is, is pretty cool stuff. That's awesome. So, man. Yeah, it's kinda cool to see see be over like be intellectualized in that way. Yeah, man. It it's it's definitely I, I remember I I hit a point, man, where it was like, you know, you're looking at these different blogs and websites and they're they're here today and then they're they're offline and you're like where'd mm-hmm. all the great content go, you know? So I've been yeah. really working to say, you know what, like I want my content, what I create, like to live like longer than, you know, a server. Like what if, if someone forgets to pay a server yeah. fee, it's all gone. I mean, you can't really get the not right archives these days, you know? And no, yeah, exactly. Even, even if you could, a lot of those links are gone. You know, a lot of those YouTube accounts have been deleted that, you know, had the behind the scenes or the music video or those download links, yep. you know, Z share is gone. So I think it's really important, man, that we keep shining a light on, on publishing and, and books because like, that's, that's the way that I think a lot of this history is really going to live. Um, you know, oh, yeah. Cause if, if I forget to pay my SoundCloud bill or my PayPal changes and SoundCloud goes away, all the episodes, go with it, you know, and yeah, yeah, there's got to be ways that we really keep this stuff, you know, in, in books, the way that other genres have done and, and, and really chronicle these, these times. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, one of the, the really like sort of frustrating things to me is like in, in sort of lieu of what you're saying about like chronicling everything, like the, the indie scene that started in like the mid to late two, uh, 90s that went through like, you know, 2007, 2008, there's not a lot of documentation on it. No. Right? Like if you look at like like punk, like, you know, sort of like the the like pivotal and foundational eras of like hardcore punk, skateboarding, metal, like there's so much fucking content on them. Like so much video content, so much, so many documentaries, there's tons of it, and there's just not that much on this scene that, like, we're, we were all part of that was important. Like, you see, like, it's it was sort of foundational for where the culture went, right? Like, I mean, everybody's independent now. Everybody's putting music out on their own now. Like, the sonics of a lot of, like, the indie stuff is, is rooted in that, like, early, like, late 90s stuff. Like, you know, like the natural elements, freestyle, whether people know it or not. Like it's it's all rooted in that, and there's no documentation. There's a few like you know, there's like the the footage of most deaf freestyling outside of the the uh, Black Star Cannibal Ox concert that was in Central Park. Um, there's like you know a little bit of footage like that, but I know dudes that have like tons and tons of content that I just would love to like sit with and try to get like a documentary out of it, like just something that yeah. exists to tell the story because like once we're all gone, that story dies if we don't do something with it. No, and I, I exactly, man, that's, you know, with, with the pH book too, it's like, 
you know, it, it's more than just PH's story too, because he was involved in so much. It's the making record story and, yeah. and how, you know, Bad Seed and Gene Gray and, and all those, you know, Omega, everybody living, you know, in one, one house making music and partying all the time. Like it's, it's so much yeah. more than that. It's, you know, New Yorkian and, and all the different venues, SOBs, everything that, you know, um, was going on, the different cliques and factions and, and, and beefs and, yeah. you know, um, everything man it was it was because that 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 90s time man i mean that 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 hip-hop for me was so foundational for why i'm even doing what i'm doing today and and seeing just how little there actually is out there it's like it's almost like you know if it wasn't you know mainstream major label stuff we're not really talking about it and it's it's even looking at, at at you guys man and adam's family you know, not having all the music on Spotify to just like listen to. It's like you got to dig for it, man. Like you see, yeah. you see kind of more Adam's music coming back online or being more accessible in the future. I mean, Cryptic has the band camp, so he has all that stuff. But um, I don't know. Like I would love to for, to see it. Like I just think in some ways I think like Adam's got so scattered that I don't know if it'll happen. Cryptic is the archive keeper, so I, I think if anybody would do it, it would be him. Um, I would love to see it. I think, you know, like there, there's just like, I think there's the way that Adams sort of fell apart and like, not fell apart in a bad way, but just like, like there's no community there anymore in Adams' family, right? Like, mm. I don't, the only person I talk to in Adam's family is Cryptic and Windenbrees. And like, you know, Cryptic's the same way. Like he talks to Jess and me. Um, Vast is on an island by himself. Um, Vortal is, you know, Vortal has sort of disappeared because he has personal things that he's, personal challenges that he deals with. Um, so it, it's, there's no like cohesive unit in any way. Whereas like, if you look at like the plague, like those dudes are all still tight. Right. They right. all hang out with each other. Um, you know, we do an event called 90 now and, and those dudes just are all there all the time. Like, they're just like, they're still boys. Like, you know, if like Vast gets married, I'm not going to be at Vast wedding or like, you know, if I had like a big, like monumental birthday party, Portal's not going to be at that. Like, whereas those dudes would all be at every like major life event for each other. Um, right. So I, I think, but they all grew up together too, which is kind of where that is a little bit of a difference. Whereas Adam's family, like we came together for a couple of years and then went our own way. Um, and you got like Blitz and Wildchild are brothers and stuff. You, you got like the family tie yeah. too. Yeah. You got the family tie and you got like, you know, G, like they grew up with G man or GMS. Um, yeah. They grew up with pumpkin. Like they all know each other. They've known each other for their entire lives. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, I would love to see it. Like every every couple of years, I get this itch to do an Adam's Family project, and I reach out to everybody. I'm like, let's do a song, like just a song, and it never fucking happens. Mm. So so it's like one of those things. Like I don't know. I don't know if anything will ever happen with it. I would love to see it, um, but yeah, no, it's, man. it's. I I think a lot of the Adam's Family stuff as well. Like there really only was one record. The, the prequel record. Everything else is like other people's projects, which I think is out there. You just have to like figure out where to pull it all from. Right. Um, kind of like compile it. Like the, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, the, the closest we came was um, back in, like, I think 2000 and maybe, like, 2012, maybe. Um, me, Cryptic, and Wynn did a record together called Adams. Um, cause, you know, we didn't want to keep the whole Adams family name because it wasn't everybody. But right. it, it was part of it, so we just went with Adams. But uh, I think that's on Spotify. Yeah, no, maybe. that's dope, man. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Man. So yeah, I mean, I would love to see it. I just don't know. Like I, here, I am like complaining about things not being documented, and I'm not doing anything to document my own shit. So you got you guys have have incredible oh, I, archives, man. Even even just like like those freestyle tapes you're talking about, man. Like the you know yeah, incredible stuff. Thank you. And you know what? What do you see, man, as your writing process these days, man? Like, like how does how does an Alaska verse really come together? Uh, that's interesting. Um, well, usually it comes from like either something I'm reading or something I'm watching. Like, it'll be like a phrase that I'll hear or read somewhere. Like, just like it's usually just like a simple phrase, right? Like, um. Like, I, I heard, for example, like, in the record with Steel Tipped of, there's a verse that starts, it said, Haversack Rouge shit. And that's, like, a word I heard in a podcast, I think. And it's just, like, Haversack Rouge is essentially a Trojan horse, right? It's, like, a gift that's sent in, but it's actually a trap. Um, so, like, a lot of times it'll just start with something like that. Like, you hear a cool phrase, and that'll start a verse, and we'll go. Or... Like, you know, I'm reading something and um, I will hear, like, there's, like, a cool concept, right? Like, I keep a list of them, so I'm pulling it up right now. Um, but it could be something like like the Car uh, Kardashian scale, which is, like, the, the scale for different types of civiliza civilizations. So when you're, when like, people are talking about, like, sort of like physics and sort of theoretical ideas of what like future civilizations or even like advanced alien civilizations are like, that's the Kardashian scale. So it's, you know, eight types of different civilizations, like the type eight civilization is almost like what we would consider to be a God. Mm -hmm. So like, I'll, I'll get an idea like that. And then that, that becomes a song, right? Like even if it's just like me doing like battle raps or whatever, but like that will become an idea for a song and then we'll like build out around that. Um, and usually like once I have that idea, I just start writing. I find the beat that I want to do and I start writing with that idea in mind. It's never like going to be, I'm describing this one thing. Like I'm not going to describe the Cardassia scale, but it could be the idea of like how you evolve as a person would be that. And then, you know, you sort of work through that and it's just, you know, I spend like a week with just a beat in my ear, slowly pulling the verse together, writing something, erasing it, writing something, erasing it, finally getting the line, moving on to the next line. And it just sort of, it, that's the process of it. It's a lot of, a lot of sitting, experimenting, coming up with the ideas until the line hits the way you want the line to hit. And yeah, it's, it's usually like some, some idea I heard somewhere that I could kind of convert into a way to describe something that I'm feeling about myself, about the world, about life around me, um, and then sort of taking it 
this one idea that I had, making it something more abstract and bringing it in through like a lens or yeah, like, you know, a certain type of lens. So I did a master's degree recently. I had to write a bunch of research papers and there's always that idea of like, what's the lens that you're looking at this information through. So you're making your argument, you're using a certain type of theory to back your argument. And it's the same sort of a thing. Like it's not necessarily like, I'm not going to talk about, you know, liminality in, in itself as an idea, but I'm going to take the concepts of that and put it into this verse about something completely different. You know what I mean? So like, that's kind of the, the construction of an Alaska verse right now. Man, that's incredible, man. Wow. I, I appreciate you sharing that, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes I feel like I'm just like, I'm like babbling. So if, if I am just let me know, sometimes it feels like that when you listen to yourself talk, you know what I mean? No, if I, if I do, if I'm on like a, like interview, like job interviews, man, like those are the worst, man. Cause you're like, do I, oh, do I keep yeah. going or do I, do I stop? Did I say enough about myself? Like, um, no, I hear yeah. you, man. Sometimes you just it, like black out too, right? You're just like talking. You're like, I'm outside of myself seeing this person. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck are you even saying? And, and it's either like that, that was like Billy Madison, you know, it's either like, I just completely nailed it or they're like, that made no sense. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was, we're all dumber for hearing you. <laughs> that, yes. <laughs> yeah. What has to happen or what do you hope happens, man, you know, for 2024, man, to be a successful year for Alaska? Uh, to be alive by January, by December 31st, 2024. That's yeah, pretty man. much it at this point in my life, right? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, basically still being fulfilled at work, my family being healthy, um, you know, my dogs being happy, um, my friends being happy, and then, you know, way down on that list is if I, I make some cool records that that I like and people like. And you know, a lot of those records are already done, so I know that the record part is going to be good. At least my part's going to be good on that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really like for at this point in my life, a successful year is is making it to the end. You know, we I, we see a lot of people like you know in our age bracket not making it to the end. Um, especially, you know, people that we came up with in music. Um, so we all had those periods where we weren't our most healthy self and we took some years off. Uh, at least I did. So I'm hoping like, you know, I, I get to keep having, having these years. So working to be healthy, working to be alive and have, have a healthy and happy family.